0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. Become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal.
1: Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our audience.
0: And very nearly happy Easter if you are that way inclined. Anyway, it's a very nice marker, I think, this week, because I really feel in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the end of winter Mm. and the start of spring.
1: Yes, I I agree. And our ice went out today. So I'm psyched. It melted completely. Yes, yes, completely. First day of totally no ice. (laughs) Well, fingers crossed it stays that way. Well, it will. I'd like to firstly
0: thank everybody who supports this podcast financially. We have a very wonderful, loyal group of people who have kindly chosen to donate a small amount to us once a month because they find what they hear from us to be useful. So if today when you're listening, we've said something that you want to go try or you think could be helpful for your own rowing or your club group, we encourage you to support us so that we can cover the overheads. The supporters page is at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast. And the podcast today is sponsored by Row 2K, the rowing news website that curates links from around the world. On the page day by day, you get links to all sorts of news articles right across the globe, mostly written in English. And the in the news section has daily updates please bookmark the page and come back frequently and you will find a link to Faster Masters programs. We are currently advertising our 1K racing programs on websites. So we very much hope that people who are going to be racing 1K in the next three to, seven, three to five months, choose that website to go and find out about our services. Now we come to this past week, which is the part of the show where we talk about the other work that Marlene and I are doing to either advocate for rowing or to work with masters groups. What have you been up to?
1: Actually, this has been a busy week since our ice as people know i'm in I'm in Canada and since our ice has just gone out, we are getting ready to think about starting our programs for for the masters. I'm the director of the adult rowing for. The Knowlton Rowing Club in Quebec. And um, we've spent the week kind of problem solving, kicking around ideas. How can we, as a club now in our fifth year? And you know, each year the club, the the club is new. Um, and the population is changing. And this is something Rebecca and I talk about a lot in our webinars and our presentations that you know, the needs of your club change from year to year. So, We have now a more experienced group. We have some people going into their third and fourth year. Some people starting to get interested in competition. Some people who are in their second year. So, you know, we've been discussing, you know, how do we meet, how do we get people rowing together more? How do we start to tweak the content of the lessons and the tracks to you know, put that little performance element in for the people who want. and just you know, to get people out rowing together more. So, um, so I spent a lot of time on programming this week, but um, we got a pretty good template, I think, for getting the season started at the end of the month.
0: I do feel that one of the biggest challenges for club administrators and coaches is to organize the progression. That people go through. So from when you're learning to getting in with a group whose skill set is similar to you, but then providing a pathway to um, different different
1: futures. And it is really challenging. And you know, what's quite quite interesting is um, I spent some time and actually, you know, I think communication is huge, first of all. So what did we do? We asked our members from last year you know, are they going to continue rowing? Are they coming back? What's most important to them this season? What would they like to see developed in the programs? And, and, and when do they like to row? Because this is something because not everybody rows at the same time or likes to row at the same time. And um, so it was interesting, because there was a definite early morning group, and there was a definite late morning group. Um, So we have set our lessons up to alternate You know, they can row either time slot, but we've set the lessons up like one day it's an early morning lesson. The next day it's going to be the mid-morning lesson. The next day it's going to be the early morning lesson, the mid-morning lesson. Um, And the interests of these groups are slightly different. So it was quite interesting how there kind of was a natural track for two different groups.
0: That's great. And then people can self-select into what suits them, because your schedule isn't the
1: same from one week to the next necessarily, is it? Um, well, actually, we're setting it up so it is relatively predictable, but... but no, but because... I meant the athletes. They oh,
0: can yes, choose. yes, you know. yes,
1: yes, yes, Abs- absolutely. And, you know, it depends on how far they travel, what their work schedule is. And also for us, summer season will probably increase the hmm. amount of lessons available because we'll also have another an additional coach. And we're busier mm-hmm. because kids are out of school and, you know, a lot of people are out it's a cottage area so a lot of people are here in the summer um, and then we go back to our core group you know in the fall so
0: nice so for me I've been doing crew lineups for a regatta that we have in the middle of May and uh, it's hard I am merely mm. on version five at the moment partly because the regatta didn't publish the sequence of events so of course Although we can do lots of events, it really depends on whether you have enough time in a one day regatta to return and change boat and get back on the water and back, back to the start in time. Um, and so that's uh, influenced you know, some of the choices that we have. And it always makes me laugh because I do the lineups based on what people say they want first. Everyone is guaranteed their first choice of crew. And then after that, they have to agree to be flexible with who I put them with. Um, and there's always two or three people who are like they have six races in one day and we're like no this is not
1: possible please which of these events would you like to drop so do if you get are, lots of do you get lots of presents during this
0: time no nobody ever tries to bribe me i can't imagine why <laughs>
1: um, yeah, you you're too strict it's the way it is
0: If people are interested in it, there is a blog post on our blog called Select Your Masters Lineups for Regattas, and it explains the process that I use. So you may find that helpful for your own club. Um, Please go have a read. Um, I have some recommendations on how to simplify your lineups and what to do um, from the first through to the last. Uh, So I do hope that that is helpful. Now, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of what we're doing today, I'd just like to show you the beautiful photograph which we have submitted by Andres Caruso. And it is called Early Morning on the Dock. And I believe this is Boathouse Row in Philadelphia. I
1: just love the lights of the city. Yes, they've been on the water for a little while now because it's a little warmer down there from where I am.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not, one of the things about these photos is we don't always know when they took the photograph.
1: (laughs) True, true. We assume it was today, but it may not have been this year. Very atmospheric either way. And this
0: being the third, third, second, third week of the month, um, we have Jess Carlo joining us. And she is going to be talking about the Rowing Book of the Month. Hey, Jess. Hello. So Lovely to day. have you. Thank you.
2: Happy to be here. Um, so the book today is *Soft the Rower. And, um, this was written in 2016. And it's by John Thronmeyer. Um, He's a master's rower in the northwestern United States, um, Corvallis Rowing Club. Um, Oh, it seems that I've lost. No, I can hear you. Keep going, Jay. We're good. Okay. I just didn't see anybody. Um, So, yeah, the book was written in 2016. um, And honestly I I mean when I saw the title I was excited by it but then I also hesitated to read it for maybe a year just because I was kind of intimidated um, <laughs> by the topic of philosophy and even though it's interesting um, and I enjoy it but anyhow I shouldn't have been um, I shouldn't have been intimidated because it's very accessible um, and it's really funny it's a lot funnier than I <laughs> Uh, I thought it would be. but um, but what makes it entertaining is that he looks at philosophy through the lens of rowing and vice versa. Um, mm. Yeah, and he really mixes it together well. Um, and it's just so fun to read. Um, but the first sentence grabbed my attention, and it was all that I hoped it would be um, because he said, this is a book about rowing and philosophy jumbled together in a blender we call life. So I thought, oh, this is just the best. This is the kind of thing I love to read. Um, And he, it's very short chapters. There's maybe, uh, I don't know, 40 chapters. Uh, And so they're very short. Um, And he alternates from like uh, big names in philosophy and then alternates that with like big growing topics like um technique equipment um coaches and coxswains and then you know stuff like races and it's really interesting um and so yeah one of my I had a hard time actually picking a, a part to read um because there were just so many good little snippets of things that I think a lot of people would enjoy <laughs> but I, I'll pick this one this um He was, um, one of his jobs was, um, he was the chairman of the um, National Endowment for the Arts in Washington, D.C. during the first George Bush administration. So that was like um, 1988, I think. Um, So, and this is about when he was talking about uh, rowing as stress relief. And he says, when I was chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts in Washington, D.C., it seemed like everybody was after me, some with good reason. The press, the artists, the conservatives, the liberals, the Christians, the car nuts. This was during the great national debate over censorship, obscenity, federal funding of the arts, and how much money Senator Jesse Holmes could raise by exploiting the issue. I kept my sanity, barely, by rowing my lungs out every morning on the Potomac River. So there are just tons and tons of little, little stories about his life in the book. And also some, you know, not in-depth information about the philosophers, but enough that I feel like I learned something. And also he mixes in the rowing and the philosophy um, very, very well and very naturally. And so I really enjoyed it a lot.
0: Jess it sounds like a dead cert and Jess has done some research and the publisher has the book not only in three different formats it's also in stock. Yeah. So race out and buy yourself a copy and if you want inspiration or links to any of the other books that Jess has mentioned previously they're all on our website there's a blog post called best rowing books and you will find find them there and I've taken to putting the book of the month at the top of the page Jess how about oh, that cool. great so I will edit it each month so that people can quickly find the one that you just talked about yeah it's a great idea well thank you very much to Jess and we will see you next month right. now Marlene and I are continuing our progress through the stroke cycle and we have moved now onto the drive. Very, very big. It's um, getting on for one third of the entirety of the
1: stroke cycle, regardless of what rate you're at. Kick us off there's a lot the of card. well, there's a lot of ways to approach approach the drive. I mean, we we can. I, I think first we should talk about it just from the. From a very basic level, because obviously we have the the technical side of the drive, and then you have the side of building power and building into racing. and you know, so so the drive can be a different animal um, depending on the pressure that you're using, depending on the stroke rate that you're rowing at and um, what your what your goal is. but but I would say, you know, first, a good drive, is reliant on a good recovery. And because your recovery is setting you up for the placement, which we are going to talk about on a, on a separate issue, um, but it, it's setting you up for the placement and you need good blade placement and purchase on the water to, to get a good drive. If your blade isn't in the water, it's going to be really hard to move the boat past, past the blade. And when you're on the drive it's first of all it's really important to understand the mechanics that you're moving your boat past the blades you're not trying to pull the blades through the water that that that's a really big issue in it and I think it affects how you approach the drive because if you're trying to pull your blades through the water you're not focusing initially on your lower body and driving with the legs, and the hips, and pressure against the foot stretchers, it becomes more of an upper body stroke. So it's very important that you have the correct sequencing, which is legs, body, arms. However, how close that sequence occurs, has there are some stylistic differences in how people coach the drive. Um, However, it is important to realize that you you need to be set up properly in order to maximize using your legs and your hips and then your upper body and then your the swing and the arms so that you're using your stronger muscle groups in in the correct order. And Rebecca has a very good saying that you can only use each part once. So if you use it up early, you're not going to be able to use it later but but the drive is very very much about, um, you're sequencing but it's really about applying pressure and being very attentive to how you're applying pressure to the foot stretcher how you're applying your pressure to the handle how and how you're maintaining that connection as you move through the drive and move your boat past the oars that's my Well that
0: <laughs> I was going to say that's a lot to start off with so i'm going to layer on top of that the height of your handles and this is a really critical part of the drive for the simple reason that the very clever people who design the oars that we use have designed them so that they have natural buoyancy if you are sitting still with your blade squared and in the water it will naturally sit at very nearly the correct depth you might have a tiny little bit of the blade showing above the surface of the water. But when you are putting pressure on that blade, the water piles up in a little roundel in front of your spoon. And that actually ensures that the top of the pile of water is right level with the top edge of your blade. So part of the drive is keeping your handle horizontal. It doesn't matter if you're doing sweep or sculling the depth that the handle is at when you first place the blade in the water is the same height that your handle is before you extract the blade right at the end of the stroke.
1: Absolutely. And and thinking horizontal is so key. And to get to get feedback on the drive. So right now we're, we're just talking about, let's talk about just the technical level. We're not really talking about progressing to applying a lot of power, but look at your blade when, when it's in the water and you can look at how far up the water, how far up does the water go on your shaft? Is it staying, you know, is it staying relatively shallow? Some people mark a piece of tape to make sure that their blade isn't moving up and down throughout the drive Mm. so if your handle is if you are not horizontal you're going to see that instead of the blade maintaining its depth it's going to be changing depth and that is actually going to shorten your time in the water because it's it's an important element of the drive that we work on is being able to place the blade in the water and get purchase on the water If you don't have that purchase, this is a factor called slip, that the ore is moving, you don't have the pressure yet. Maintaining what we call effective length, which is maintaining the pressure on the blade until you're getting ready to extract the blade. And if you don't extract the blade at the correct time on the drive, that's called wash. So it's important when you think of the drive to think about maximizing the length of t- effective time that your blade blade is in the water. And and rigging comes into this because when we rig boats, we are trying to um, achieve a certain factor of the blade, the blade staying in the water and, and that purchase staying effective. So if you are not horizontal, like Rebecca's talking about, if you're not horizontal and your blade goes deeper and then comes back up you are shortening the amount of effective time that you're in the water compared to if your blade stays the same depth and you maintain that all the way through, you're going to be in the, in the water longer. It's going to be a longer effective drive.
0: Correct. So Marlene's given you one drill for looking at your blade depth. I'm going to give you a second one. And the second one I'm going to give you is to row with your blades feathered on top of the water. And you slide up to the catch and slide back, leaving the oar feathered on the surface. This is particularly good for sweep because you also have, of course, the rotation around the pin. And if your oar is touching the water and the boat is level, your handle will be at the right height. And a lot of people don't realize this. I know it sounds uh, challenging, but it's a worthwhile drill to do. If you happen to be in a crew boat, you can do it with half the crew rowing and half just rowing in time, but leaving their oars feathered on the surface during the recovery. And you will quite quickly begin to understand how high your handle needs to be. If you are in a crew, or actually you can also do this if you're at stroke or in a single scull one way to work out whether your handles are at the right height when you're not looking out at your blade depth is to get a visual reference and by that i mean your handles are in front of you you've reached right out and you can usually tell whether they're at the right height either by how high up the back of the person in front of you they go so take a a mental mark at the back of their shirt. Or if you're in the stroke seat or in a single, look at the deck of your boat. There may be something that you can look at and you can say, I know that I've got them at the right height. If my view from my eyes past my hands and then onto the deck is like this and and you'll just have to figure out where that marker is. And of course, if you can figure it out, you might want to put just a little bit of tape across the deck as a reference so that you say, I know that my, my knuckles must look like they've covered the tape. So the
1: tape goes out of sight, for example. Yes, that's a really good reference because, again, handle height, staying horizontal. And if you're on flat water and you're able to find the water and understand where that level is, that, that's really good, very good feedback That because you need to have some reference point. And on the drive often it can be challenging to understand when do I bring in my body swing when do I start to to break the arms when do these things happen as I said some coaches can coach a more collected stroke or or a more separated stroke that that's a, a stylistic difference versus um you know a, a real methodical difference but one a couple of points that i like to make when when teaching the drive is to make sure that you're initiating with with the legs in the hips and then bringing in the body swing the reference that i i like to use is when you're when you know as you drive off the balls of your feet you know when you have pretty good pressure on your foot stretcher your whole foot will go down and I like to use that moment when your whole when you feel that your whole foot is planted to begin to bring the body in. And I think that that's a good what I call geographical reference point that if if an athlete is tending to lift their body away from their thighs versus push their knees away from their upper body, they need a reference of when to initiate the body swing and when to start opening so as you initiate the drive when you feel your whole foot contact start to swing and that's a great that's really really good and it you
0: can tell for yourself when you've got to that point there's a some variation with ankle flexibility but that's excellent
1: because you need you need if especially if you're coaching yourself and you're in a boat by yourself without a coach you need or the crew needs a reference point of something that's going to occur every single stroke so that you, that so that you can pay attention to that and you can practice that and then as you're starting to swing you know if we had a power curve in the boat you know we would see that you know your power would go up as you're swinging through the perpendicular point of of the handles when when you start to swing through the perpendicular point of the handles i think this is this this becomes a a tricky part of an effective drive because once your handle moves through the perpendicular point you're going to start to break your elbows at some point soon after that so you start to prepare for the release. And the, the release is going to come up on you very quickly once you're through the perpendicular point of, of the oar handles. The blade is moving to the stern. It's moving on the other side of the pin. So when you're starting your drive, your blade is behind you. You can't see it. As you as you move the boat past the blade, you come to perpendicular. Then you're going to, to start to move past the blade. You'll start to see it in the corner of your eyes. That coincides pretty closely with when you start to break the arms. And it's very important at that point that you continue to hold your pressure on the blade so that it doesn't tear. So you wanna be careful not to erg that handle into your body, which is pulling the handle in a linear way and your blade is going to tear and there's gonna be some, some slippage you're going to lose Um, an effective drive. So as your blade starting to swing, when you start to see it in the corner of your eye, as you're moving through the perpendicular, think about working some pressure in towards the blade so that you're staying on your arc. So if you're in a sweep boat, you want to continue that arc around the pin all the way to the finished position. Or if you're on the single, you want to stay on those arcs All the way to the finished position. If you start to pull your handle into your body straight, like you do on an erg, the blade's gonna break from the water and you're going and you're going to slip. And you need to try to hold that pressure consistently or even increasing it slightly because the boat is going faster. So it's very important to what you feel when you enter and get pressure is what you want to maintain until you release precisely
0: and remember when your back has swung you've gone from a shoulders forward of the hips right through to shoulders slightly behind the hips. when you start to draw your arms, I think this is particularly a challenge for women who have slightly less upper body strength than men but I have definitely seen this in male rowers as well. there is sometimes a tendency to come forward on the arms with your shoulders. so although you swing a bit, it then comes back as you're drawing your arms. So, in side view, you, you see people coming forwards like this as they draw the handle into the body. And that's not helpful. Even if your arms are not particularly strong, you are going to lose that grip on the water that Marlene describes when she says, continue to hold the pressure. If your shoulders go back and then come back forwards, or they don't go fully back. It's very hard then to hold that pressure when you're using your
1: smallest muscles, which are your arms, right at the end of the stroke. Correct, and that pressure is then what helps us release the blade. So if you lose that pressure, when you know, I think that the point is particularly when your handles move through the perpendicular, and you just have a little bit of arc around the pin because you're you're getting toward you know you're getting closer to the release, and the boat is the boat is moving at a little bit faster speed than it was when you put the blade in the water. um, You have, you have to make sure that you hold that pressure and you keep your work towards the blade and resist that temptation to buck the finish as, as Rebecca's talking about, or want to yank with your arms. So you have to tune into the pressure of the blade, because if your pressure is breaking in the middle of the drive, You're going to get pressure, lose it, and then you try to catch what's not there. (laughs) That's true. Now, if you want to practice your drive,
0: one way to do it is to break it down into the component parts, which are legs only, legs and backs, and then legs, backs, and arms. So reasonably simple. You can do this drill on your own with feather blades if you're in a single or you can do it with half a crew sitting the boat and half doing it and if you have that luxury of a crew i recommend at least starting the drill with uh half the crew sitting the boat level for you so you have you don't have to square and feather you have nothing to think about except how your legs are working and the drill is very straightforward you roll up to full compression square your blades and put them in the water and make sure that you have the correct body angle. So you're rocked forwards with your shoulders, forwards of your hips. Put the blades in the water and then just push your legs until your legs are straight. When your legs are fully straight, just tap the blades out and return to the catch. And we call this legs only rowing. You shouldn't move your back at all. Your arms will move a little vertically, but actually they're not, you know, not having to square or feather is a, is a, is a great isolation drill so you're checking for that feeling of grip at the catch that you've got when you put the blades in the water that you have something to push against and you can practice a lot of the things that marlene was talking about earlier one way yes
1: and uh, one way that's really nice to get feedback is to put a little resistance on your boat like for example if you're in a coach boat You can go up and you can, if you're coaching somebody in a single, you probably wouldn't work for an eight, but if you're coaching someone in a single, you can hold their stern and ask them to row and give them a little bit of heaviness and a little bit of feedback. Or you can take a bungee cord, regular old bungee cord, and just clip it around your hull. I like to do it sort of to the stern of the foot stretchers, clip a, a bungee cord around the hull and do a little bit of rowing. And the but the, the bungee cord is going to slow your boat right down on the recovery, so that so that it's going to feel a little bit heavier when you pick it up and through the drive. But if you're working on the sequence, this is a really good way to get um, more proprioception into your joints and to get more feedback about if you're using your muscles in the right sequence and to work on that sequence because the boat is going to slow down drastically every recovery and give you more feedback on the water. So bungee cord rowing um, is, is a nice exercise for getting feedback on the drive sequence.
0: And you can do this on the erg too. Just jack the fan up to 10, really load it and you get the exact same effect. And it's really beneficial because of course on the land, you can set a mirror so you can watch yourself. And the thing that you will do if you are unfamiliar with this exercise is you will tend to swing your back. It's very hard mentally and physically when you first try to just isolate. So it's only your legs going up and
1: down. The, 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 the drive is. You go on. Oh, I was going to say the the, the drive is very much um, one of the one of the descriptions that that I've used. It's it's like pushing a refrigerator. So <laughs> if you if you had your back, if you're sitting on the floor and you have your back against a refrigerator and you need to move that refrigerator put your feet up on the wall and push and you know it's it's you you need to get your whole body weight going with the strength of your legs but but your your upper body and your core has to be very engaged so that everything moves together and um i think of the it very much of like with your glutes your your glutes if you if you activate your glutes that's going to support your lower back. If you activate your lats and you draw your shoulder blades down, that's going to solidify your shoulders. And together, they're, they're going to solidify your cylinder, your torso. So as you're pressing off the foot stretcher, you know, feel like you're drawing your hips up and drawing your shoulders down. And that, that makes a very strong torso. So that as you drive, everything's going to move together. You're not going to, um, I think of it like draw yourself together and drive it rather than drive the legs and let it pull you apart. You've got to draw everything together so that as you drive, you're moving moving the handle.
0: Yeah, so the if you move your seat six inches, your handle has to also move six inches. That's, that's the rule. That's something that you can also spot if you are videoed and watch in slow motion. Back to my little exercise. The second part is, as you've probably guessed, is to row with straight arms. So you're using your legs and your back. And then the third part is legs, back and arms, self-evidently. Now, this is a it is a challenging drill. Um, It's worthwhile doing it perhaps as part of your warm up. If you know that you want to improve the quality of your drive, um, I definitely recommend it. There is a further refinement, which you might choose to do, which is something when you're rowing, you're fully warmed up and you're rowing at full slide, normal, normal rowing, is just for 10 strokes to try and row so that when you finish the drive, you are finishing your legs, your back and your arms at the same time. Now, this is not how we normally row but it's a very good exaggeration drill to check that you're still feeling pressure on your feet and that you're still feeling your back swinging and your arms sort of drawing towards you all at the same time. So you just go, right, finishing everything together is usually how I call it. Um, And just try it for 10 strokes and it really helps you to keep the pressure on right through to that last minute a uh, must moment, you know, before you take the blade
1: out of the water. Yeah, it's, and, and it's a really good way to get insight about your swing and your arm draw, because each one of you is built differently. Some of you have long legs and a short torso and long arms. Some people have short legs, a long torso and long arms. So your timing is going to vary and you need to learn how to time your body swing and time the arm draw at different rates. So learning how to adjust the rate that you your legs drive, your body swings and your handle moves because those rates are going to the, the body and the the handle is going to move faster as you get clo- deeper into the drive. That's a really important way to learn how to keep that pressure and learn that timing and be very conscious of the speed of your swing and are your hands late if your hands are late then speed them up through the perpendiculars but you know that that pick up you know don't wait until you're at your body to try to to adjust that speed you have to adjust the speed somewhere somewhere in the middle so it gives you a lot of insight how to match different boat speeds and match the swing and match, match the arm draw speed as the boat speed changes, and or you row with different crews and different rates.
0: So the result of all of this is shown in your puddles. You can see how successful your drive has been when the oars come out of the water and the, the puddles are moving past the boats. So you can quite easily see them. And as we are reminded by one of our listeners, the you need to make small, dark, concentrated circles So the water is a tight circle. It's not splashy. And it then moves away from the boat in a really clear pattern. And that's the way you can tell that you have done a good power phase and you've given the boat a good release. If you don't release well, if you drag like the lower edge of your blade as it comes out of the water, you won't get those tight puddles.
1: Absolutely, because you're levering the boat, and 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 it's important to remember you're using your body weight, you're driving your body weight, you're leveraging versus pushing and pulling and separating and kind of ar- arguing with the with the boat. And there, there's one drill. One, I, I, I'm not even sure I'd call it a drill. I'd call. I think I'd call this an exercise. But there's one little exercise. It's a little bit funny at first but it really, really works to help your swing and rhythm. And if you're working on your drive, it's so easy to get focused in the boat. Like you're looking at your speed coach, you're looking at your shoes, you're thinking about what you're doing and and you see the oarsman or the sculler just, just getting into the boat. And In order to really leverage your body weight and get nice swing and nice rhythm, you've got to get out of the boat. You've got to get your head out of the boat and and trust that oar and drive and swing, push and swing. And one exercise that I I like to have um, athletes do is when they put the blade in the water, I ask them as they start to drive, I ask them to look straight up at the sky. And what that does is it lifts their head and they're going, oh, my God, where am I going? Right. They're not used to this. They're getting they're freaking out because you know what? They can't see the boat. And I don't want them to see the boat, but I want them to get this sense of trust the oar, push and swing. And when you lift your head, your head weighs 15 pounds. Some people's head weigh more than others, but that is part of your leverage. And if you're looking if you're looking down and you're looking at your speed coach and you're you're, you know, worrying about what's on your shoes or whatever, if you're looking down, you're not bringing that weight into the leverage. And that is that's free. You need to use it. But but I think I've seen so many reactions of, whoa, oh, my gosh, what a sense of freedom to place the blade, push swing and just let it, just let it go, you know, just let it go and trust the oar. You've got to trust your blade in the water. If you're going to really start to build power, the first step is learning how to trust your blade. And in order to do that, you've got to get, you've got to get your head out of the boat a little bit and start to get that sense of swing and keeping your head up And then, you know, this is an extreme example, and we don't row this way all the time. But then I ask them, okay, now bring your eyes down and look, I want you to look above the treetop, or Mm. if you've got a mountain around, I want them to look at the mountain, I don't want them to look at the horizon, I want them to look higher than the horizon, so that that weight is becomes part of the leverage. But it's a really fun drill to see if you trust the water to put your blades in the water and then start to drive and look straight up. And then, you know, at the release, you br- bring your eyes back down. But um, oftentimes people just exclaim like, Oh, how wonderful that feels. That feels like incredible just to swing and get out of the boat and, and, and feel that rhythm and kind of stop thinking so much and just get some, you know, good sensations going. And,
0: and, What you will also notice is how stable the boat is when the oars are in the water. If balance and wobbles are a concern of yours, you can just let that go. Because once the oars are in the water and you're pushing,
1: the boat is completely stable. Absolutely. So, I mean, to, you know, to go on and to develop pressure and the confidence to build pressure you've got to get to this point that you trust the stability of the blade in the water, that you trust your blade. So there's a big trust issue on the drive, because if you do not trust your blade, you're not going to put 100% of your body weight behind the handle if you don't trust where the blade is. So it's really important to, to get to the point that you feel secure and that that, you know, Blade work is another topic, but you've got to have very... This is where the importance of the blade work. You've got to be very secure in the water so that you can then develop power. If you're not secure, you're not going to be able to develop any power.
0: Well, on that note, that is the end of the drive. What a lot there was to cover in that. So um, that is just great. And I've really enjoyed covering this off with you, Marlene. It's, it's been really great to... So, really slice down into the detail
1: oh I I, and you know what and I feel like we could there's so much we can talk about so please everyone forgive us because you know we have to just get some big concepts out there and you know the, the discussion goes on you know you can really dig into the different parts of the drive too but we want to leave you with these thoughts to digest first
0: So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to Masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport today by buying a Faster Masters Rowing Program subscription at FasterMastersRowing.com forward slash join. And if you've enjoyed the show today, please consider making a donation at FasterMastersRowing.com forward slash podcast. Till next time. Bye-bye.